Good morning, everyone. Welcome to you. My name is Tim Harris. I'm pastor of Woodburn Baptist Church. It's good to see all of you. Welcome to you. It seems like a long time since we were all here. We were just here Christmas Eve, which was what, Monday? But that's like 900 Oreo balls ago or something, <laughs> something like that. It seems like a long time, doesn't it? Everybody have a good Christmas? Everybody good? Uh, did everybody get what they wanted for Christmas? Santa Claus was good? Yeah. How many got toys? Got toys? Yeah. Did, did you get something awesome? Somebody tell me something awesome they got for Christmas. What'd you get? What'd you get, Jackson? Hoverboard. You got a hoverboard? Wow. That's awesome. Are you pretty good on it? Can you ride it? Yeah. yeah. How's your dad? Has your dad been on it? No. No. That's a, I'd, I'd pay. I'd give a kidney out of my body to see Mark Price on a hoverboard. Somebody else, what'd you get? Something awesome? Yeah. What'd you get, man? Electric scooter? Is it fast? Yes. That's awesome, man. That's cool. What'd you get? Laser tag. You got laser tag? Really? That's awesome. How, how, how many guns do you have? How many lasers? It's just two for me and my dad. Just for you and your dad? Yeah. Who's the best? You kind of go back and forth. Yeah. That's awesome. Allure, what'd you get? A what? A PS4 PlayStation? Yeah, what's your favorite game? Fortnite. Fortnite? Yeah, are you awesome? Yes, I'm You're pretty awesome, huh? That's good. Yeah, sometimes you just got to own your awesomeness. Grace, what'd you get? You got what? You got slime? That sounds awesome. What do you do with it? You just play with it? Yeah, that's fun. Somebody else? You got it. Tim Goss got a big onesie. Yeah. You just keep and wear that at home. Keep that that between you and Mrs. Claus uh, for us. Yeah. That's awesome. Those are fun gifts. How many of you just got practice? How many of you got socks? Anybody open socks? Yeah. Yeah, clothes. Anybody get clothes? How many of you just prefer practical gifts? Give me something practical. Yeah, nobody really says that. Yeah, man, I tell you, through the years, I got some good presents. I got a unicycle one year. Uh, unicycles were before hoverboards. Um, I can still, I should ride that for y'all some Sunday. You bring your hoverboard, Jackson, I will run a unicycle, and, uh, and we'll go. I got a unicycle as a kid once. I never got... Every year I ask for a ventriloquist doll, like a ventriloquist dummy, because that would be awesome. And had I ever gotten a ventriloquist dummy, I would not be here today. I would be in Vegas somewhere <laughs> making lots of money as a ventriloquist. But I guess God had other, uh, God and Santa had other plans for, for me. I'm always sort of stuck now, I'm a 53 year old man. I really can't ever think of things I want. And it turns out now I get a lot of practical stuff. I did get socks. I asked for socks. You reach a certain age where all you really want are warm feet. You know, it's just like all I want. If I could wear socks on my hands, I would. I just want warmth. The gift of warmth is, 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 is all I want. I don't always know what I want. Um, my wife and son are pretty good, though. Those who know you best often can give the best gifts to you because they sort of know sometimes better than you know what it is that you would most appreciate, but there's always this, this difference between the gifts we want and, and the gifts we need. Once when Jesus was preaching in a house, 
the crowd was pressed in and there wasn't room for a, for a single person to, to come in. The house was packed and there was a man who was paralyzed. His friends wanted to bring him to Jesus, but they couldn't get in because of the crowd. So remember the story where they do up on the roof of the house and they, uh, they dug a hole. They, they, they broke a hole in the roof and they lowered the man down. And when, when they got that paralyzed man to Jesus, what did Jesus do? Jesus said, Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Interesting. He said, your sins are forgiven. And that blew up everything because that's not what anybody expected him to say. And that's probably not exactly why the friends carried the man on their backs to get him there in the first place. That any one of us would have looked at that man and said, he needs legs. I mean, he needs legs. But Jesus looked at that man and said, he needs forgiveness. We all do. There's a difference sometimes between what you think you want and what it is you most need. We all need forgiveness. And that brings us to Hebrews chapter 10. This is sort of the last in the Riches to Rags series that we've been doing through Christmas. I just want to get right down to it. This is why he came. This is what he's done for you. And this is important. Hebrews chapter 10. My small group won't meet tonight. My small group won't meet. I know a lot of your groups won't meet. Uh, but I did put... Uh, discussion questions for this passage on the live event. So if you're uh, so inclined, or, or please, if you just take the challenge, go to the live event and work through these questions this week. This is important scripture. This is important today. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. Now, in the book of Hebrews here, we're going to compare the old system, which is sort of the Old Testament system of sacrificing animals in, in worship for, for the remission of sins. We're comparing that to what Jesus has done. So the old system Versus what Christ has done. This is what we're doing. Verse 1, chapter 10 of Hebrews. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped. Are you following this logic? This is amazing. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped. For the worshipers would have been purified once for all time. And their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. Isn't that interesting how the scripture goes straight to that feeling of guilt that we all carry? Verse 3. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Then I said, look, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written about me in the scriptures. First, Christ said, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them, although they were required by the law of Moses. Then Christ said, look, I come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. 
For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Underline that, verse 10. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. That was God's will. It wasn't like the Old Testament was plan A, and when that didn't work out, he instituted a new plan, plan B. No, this was always the plan. Always the plan. God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Verse 11. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins once for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. And the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so. For he says, this is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts. I will write them in their minds. Then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifice. God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. I guess every medical professional probably knows the difference between uh, treating symptoms and healing the disease. In, in other words, sometimes you can be misled if all you do is treat symptoms. I had a friend who had a sore throat, and for too long, her doctor treated the symptom of her sore throat without recognizing that the sore throat was caused by cancer in the lymph nodes. You understand, treating the sore throat was never going to heal the disease, the cancer in her lymph node. So there's a difference between symptoms and, and the root cause, the, the, the deeper disease. Now, that's a principle of medicine, but it's also a basic fundamental principle of your life. And too often, you and I miss this. We treat the symptoms, but, but not the deeper problem. It's like when you have a leak in the roof and so you just keep mopping the floor, you mop the water up off the floor, but that never does anything about fixing the hole in the roof. It's like when you continue to, to trade partners, you, you, you get married and divorced and married and divorced, or you just keep dating new partners and moving in and out with guys, and, and you keep wondering why you're still lonely. Somehow a new relationship never ever answers the deeper loneliness in you. You know what I'm talking about? It's like when you continue to get a new hairdo or get a little work done or new clothes, but you still can't stand the sight of the person you look at in the mirror. It's that problem of posting a selfie on Instagram and you get 50 likes, but somehow with 50 likes, you still don't feel one bit more liked. It's why in your life, every time you solve one problem, two more pop up. It's like whack-a-mole. You ever played whack-a-mole at the fair? You have a big old hammer and a mole pops up and you whack it down and what happens? Boom, and on. You whack it down and boom. It's just whack-a-mole. You spend your whole life whacking problems down, but every time you knock one problem down, two more pop up. You understand what I'm saying? The, the problem is your problems are not your problem. Your problems are not your problem. You have a deeper problem, a deeper disease, and everything else you experience, your boredom, 
your, your anxiety, your frustration, your guilt. It's just, just symptoms. It's symptoms. And as long as you're only whacking down symptoms, you're never, ever going to get to the deeper problem, the, the root cause, the, the disease in your soul. So, so when those men broke that hole open in the roof and lowered down their friend, Jesus looked at that man and diagnosed his crippled soul immediately. He said, your sins are forgiven. And the whole room just loses their mind. What? Nobody can forgive sins but God. They begin to see this as an occasion to have a theological controversy. They just begin to debate. You understand? Because any one of us who looked at that man and said, that man needs legs. That man needs to walk. But Jesus was able to overlook the symptoms and see the disease. This man, his problem is not that his legs are crippled. His most important problem is that his soul is crippled. Brother, your sins are forgiven. understand what I'm saying that that it's very very possible that that your problems are not your problem that you have something much much deeper and you can't do a bloody thing about it when I was a kid I used to get nosebleeds I mean a nose like this if it bleeds y'all it's you know it's a gully washer and so I get nosebleeds and I get them in the night. And so I would wake up in the morning and there would be bloods, you know, big blood spots on my pillow, my, my pillowcase. And I learned from my mom that once blood is dry, it's the hardest stain to wash out. I mean, once blood is in something, it's, it, it's really, really difficult to wash out. It's the worst stain perhaps of, of anything, which is why when I would go to church and we would sing all of these songs about washing in blood and it never made sense to me. We would sing, are you washed in the blood, in the soul cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? You know, and I would think, what? You can't wash it in blood and it come out spotless? I mean, I'd stain too many pillowcases in the night to know that blood doesn't wash things clean. That's not how blood works. That's not what clean is unless we're talking about a very different kind of stain and a very different kind of clean. Amen. We're talking about a very different kind of stain and a very different kind of clean. Your problem, my problem is sin. It's sin. Now, I, I know that as children, we often learn that sin is, is the bad things that I do. And I do bad things. I do bad things. You do as well, but... But understand that sometimes the bad things I do, that those are sins, and it's appropriate to call sin sins. Those are sins, but, but in some ways the bad things I do are, are just symptomatic of something deeper. Sin is not just the bad things I do. It is the crippling disease in my soul. It's deeper than just the bad things I do. Sometimes I can sort of force myself and control my behavior, but I can't possibly, I can't possibly touch the crippling disease in my soul. Sin is not just the bad things that I do. Sin is an, a, a radical orientation in which I was born. I, I was born turned outward away from God, and you were too. I was born in such a way where my soul simultaneously longs to know the God who made me, but at the same time runs from him. I don't know why 
we run from him, but we do. It's, it's, it's that sinful nature. It causes us to live our whole lives forgetful of the God who always remembers us. It's a crippling kind of disease. It, it, it is the sin in me that somehow makes me never, ever content with anything I have or own or possess. It's, it's the sin in me that, that makes me painfully aware of this this fundamental contradiction of myself. The, 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 the man I want to be and the person I want to be turns out never to be the man I am in reality. I, I sometimes lie to myself or deceive myself. I, I make myself believe I'm better than I am. I make myself believe I'm better than you, than other people. But the truth of the matter is I'm the same as everybody else. I, I'm a sinner. This crippling disease of my soul. Sin is my problem. Sin is your problem. It, it, it has to do with the bad things you do, but, but it's deeper than that. It's much, much deeper than that. And scripture says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Now, that, that's amazing. It's mysterious, but, but without the shedding of blood, the, the disease that cripples my soul, you understand, it's, it's something that I can't I can't fix for myself. If I could be a better person, I'd have been a better person a long time ago. And you would too. It's not in me to fix what's broken in me, to heal what's crippled in me. It's sin. I need a savior. I need somebody to do this for me. And this is the fundamental principle of scripture that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. We're talking about blood and the power of blood to mend what's broken between us and God, this broken relationship. And it's, it's such a mystery, but it's all through Scripture. When Adam and Eve first sinned, you notice what Scripture says. It's sort of in the text, and you read right past it, but once God found them in, in the garden, they were running from Him. Once their sin was exposed, God dressed them with animal skins, the Scripture says. He, he dressed them, which means there was a slaughter of animals because without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sins when Cain and Abel Adam and Eve's sons came before God in worship one brought an offering of vegetables and and the, the, the fruit of the land but the other brought an animal and slaughtered it on the altar and his sacrifice was acceptable and the other brothers was not because without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sins when Noah came off the ark and the rainbow was in the sky. He took animals that had been preserved for this very purpose and he built an altar and he slaughtered the animals on the altar because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. You understand how this works all the way through scripture? So in the old temple, the high priest had a job to do. We think about how worship must have been in the old Jerusalem temple and you imagine the banners and you imagine the trumpets and the noise and the splendor of that temple of Solomon but you've got to understand that worship in the old way was bloody 
There was an amazing system of walls and, and chambers for worship, but there was also an amazing system of gutters so that the blood which flowed constantly from the altar would have a place to go. The blood would simply flow. You understand that everybody who walked in the temple, they brought a sacrifice. They brought something to kill because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. This is... I don't mean to be offensive. I know some of you are very squeamish about blood, but you got to understand what this was about, what, what worship looked like. It was bloody. Priests were in blood up to their elbows. This was their job. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Now understand what the purpose is. The, the, the blood of animals, the blood of goats and bulls, lambs, could never, ever actually atone for our sins. For a very simple reason, animals don't sin. It's not animals that have disturbed the tranquility of God's good creation. It's human beings. We're the only creatures that sin. The only creatures that sin. I mean, my dog is dumb, but my dog is not capable of sin. You understand? My dog doesn't have a soul. A dog is not capable of running and rebelling against the creator the way we are. We are unique in all of creation. Made in God's image, we're the only ones who can know and relate and, and, and pray to this God. And also the only ones who can put the middle finger up into his face. I mean, we're the only ones who can curse him and walk in the other direction. And we do. So the blood of animals, the blood of the goats, the bulls, and could never, ever actually do anything about our deeper disease. I guess the flow of blood was simply there to, to remind us of the costliness of our sin, seriousness of our sin. I mean, because of my sins, someone's got to die. Something has to die without the shedding of blood there is no remission no payment for my sin so i go to the temple and i see the blood flow and it just reminds me of the depths of my sin the priest himself was a sinner before he could do anything else the priest would have to go in and slaughter a bull just to pay for his own sins so that then he could walk in and make atonement for the sins of the people i mean even the priest the same problem everybody else had. Slaughter an animal, the blood would flow, and then he would slaughter another animal on behalf of the people, and it never stopped again and again and again. The blood would flow. But notice what the scripture says it's absolutely amazing. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped. For the worshipers would have been purified once for all time and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That is why Christ came into the world, verse 5. That is why Christ came. Talking about riches to rags, how he left heaven for us. But do you really understand? Do you really understand what he left? Do you really understand what he paid? Do you really understand what he's done for you? He didn't just come to give you Christmas. Just come to bring you nice things. Do you understand? He came to take care of the root disease, the, 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 the crippling soul. Sickness with which you were born. 
So, so what did he do? Notice, it's just amazing. This is why when Christ came to the Lord, he said to God, verse 5, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings. So you gave me a body to offer. Understand what that says? The sacrifice had to be human. That sounds primitive. That, 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 that sounds savage. There had to be a human sacrifice because sin is a human problem. The wages of sin is death, the book of Romans says. Somebody has to die. I'm the sinner. You're the sinner. Should have been us. If if blood needs to be spilled because of my sin, then whose blood should be spilled? Mine. But Jesus says, you've sent me and you gave me a body to offer. Understand what we're saying here. God himself came down. God himself took on flesh. God himself became human for this reason. To die in your place. To die in my place. He's the only perfect high priest, which means when he came to make sacrifices for sins, he didn't have any sins of his own that he had to pay for first. He only had one body to offer. If he had to die for his own sins and he couldn't stand in my place and your place, he couldn't die for our sins. He had no sins of his own. He who knew no sin became sin itself so that we might become the righteousness of God. He was the only perfect high priest. And as the only perfect high priest, he came and he brought the sacrifice, his own blood, his own body. He laid it on the altar and he died And since he had no sins of his own to pay for, then understand the penalty for sins that he paid for, that was my penalty. That was your penalty. That was our punishment. That was my death. So notice what it says. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Verse 9. Look, I've come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. That's why after he made sacrifice, he didn't have a new full-time job because the high priest had a full-time job. He made sacrifices over and over and over again, again and again and again, because actually none of those sacrifices could ever do the job. But Jesus died one time. Jesus died one time. He came back from the dead and then he just sat down. He sat down because why? Because it was finished. He accomplished what he came to do. It was finished. So he just sat down. And where did he sit down? At the right hand of God. You understand? He went right back to where he came from, sat down at the right hand of God because his mission was accomplished. His purpose was complete. He had paid for my sins. He paid for your sins. Once for all time. One time. So he doesn't have to continue to die and and, and be born again. He doesn't continue to do that because it's not necessary. Once for all time. I, I love this. It's just, just, it's amazing. When sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. Verse 18, once for all time. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. When they lowered the man, paralyzed man in front of Jesus, Jesus looked at the man and said, your sins are forgiven. He saw it. 
a, a deeper problem. He saw the root cause. He, he knew the man better and more deeply than that man would know himself. He, Jesus knew what the man needed. And Jesus knows what you need most. I know in a crowd this size, in a cafe this size, with people listening in the sound of my voice wherever you are, I know that there's so many problems that you think you have and so many things you, you think you need and so many things you want. I'm here to tell you that there's really, really only one thing you need. And, and, and when you have this deeper need addressed, you may find that all of your other wants and needs, they just seem to be satisfied. You really can be satisfied. You were not created for this deep, deep loneliness, this deep, deep dissatisfaction, this deep guilt and grief. You were not created just so you could go through your whole life feeling like you're never enough, never good enough. Never pretty enough. You weren't created for this. It's a symptom, soul crippling sickness in you. It's, uh, for lack of another word, it's it's called sin. <coughs> Without the shedding of blood, there is no way to remove that sin, to heal that sickness in you. That's why Jesus came. The story of Jesus in the manger, it's a beautiful story, but it would be a meaningless story if not for the fact that we know that Jesus went to the cross. Christmas has significance because of Easter. Understand Jesus who died and rose again. He shed his blood because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. He needed to... Remove sin because without the removal of sin, you and I could never, ever have a relationship with God. The very relationship we were created did this for you. You understand? He, he did this for you. It's a gift. For lack of any other word to use, it's, it's a gift. In, in other words, there's nothing you can do to earn it. It's not like you have to go on probation and prove that you deserve it because you don't and you can't. It's, it's just a gift. The, the price was paid by Jesus. His own blood purchased your salvation. So now it's a, it's, it, it is just a gift. Have you received it? I mean, the fact that he's given you the gift. I mean, at, at Christmas, you see the gifts under the tree, but, but, but something else has to happen. You have to take that gift into your own lap. You have to begin to unwrap it. You have to make it yours. Amen. Now, now, Jesus did everything necessary to lay that gift right there at, at your feet. But you, and you are the only one who can take that gift, bring it into your heart and make it yours. You have to receive the gift. You have to accept the gift. You have to believe. If you've never done that, I'm asking you to do that today. Why would you not? Why would you continue to live this whack-a-mole life where all you do is, 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 is whack on problem after problem after problem and you're never, ever going to solve them? All of your problems are not the problem. You understand there's symptoms of a deeper disease and only Jesus can heal. 
And he's done everything necessary to make you right. He's done everything necessary to mend. Everything broken in you, everything wrong in you is made right in Jesus. It's a gift. I don't know if you understand that it's the gift you want, but I promise you, this is the gift you need. This is the gift you need. Take it. Receive it. Bring it to your heart. Make it your own. This is why you came. Pray with me. God, it's the gospel. At the end of the day, the only real message I'm called to preach, and somehow every time I preach it, I feel so powerless. Because I am powerless. Oh God, it's your Holy Spirit that takes this message straight to the hearts of lost people. Holy Spirit, take this good news straight to the hearts of lost people. Oh God, people in the sound of my voice who struggle so with guilt and shame. Let's just pray that you'd make them finished with the struggle, finished with being lost and blind, finished sort of with just smacking down problems when the problems aren't the problem, Lord. Sin is the problem. This disease, this fatal wound in our souls, Lord, that make us incapable of living a life with you. Oh, Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for shedding your blood. Thank you for taking my place on that cross. Thank you, Jesus, for removing the burden of sin and guilt in my life. Lord, now I pray that you'll do the same for those in this house who've never received the gift of salvation, who've never simply acknowledged the truth of, of, of the Bible, never acknowledged the truth of the gospel, and never just simply said the word yes in response to your invitation to salvation. Lord, let today be the day of the most glorious yes. Lord, men, women, boys and girls, teenagers in this house, Lord, who do not know you, Lord, let this be the day when they themselves are lowered down at your feet and they hear the magnificent words, your sins are forgiven. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, the only name given under heaven by which we can be saved. 